Hello and welcome to Bitcoin with Jake. Today I'm speaking with Daniel Wilczynski. Daniel, welcome. How are you? Uh, very well, Jake. Um, I'm doing very good and I'm very happy to join you on your show and talk about Bitcoin. Wonderful. Yeah, that's 100% the, the focus of the conversation. So um, I always try to, I guess, I want to legitimize Bitcoin for people. And one of the ways I think is useful at doing that is explaining people's personal journeys to the space. Um, I know that you've been involved for a few years now and, you know, you're building a company in the space. So I'm very, very excited to hear about, um, A, what you're involved in in the present day, but equally what brought you to this moment. Um, so just to start, could you explain a little bit about the projects you're involved in uh, in the present day? Right. So the main thing that... Um... I'm involved in is hardblock.com.au, which is an Australian Bitcoin exchange, uh, where our goal is to help Australians save uh, with Bitcoin in a self-sovereign way. So we're not an exchange with an order book, book. we're more for investors and people who want a DCI and move to the hardware wallet. Um, that's what we're trying to do, and we're trying to educate Australians about Bitcoin, why they should invest in Bitcoin and help them save with Bitcoin. Awesome. And is there any other projects um, that you are involved in alongside Hardblock or does that take up all of your time? Well, I mean, that pretty much takes up the vast majority okay. of my time. I, I am also, uh, I've been running the Adelaide Bitcoin meetup for a few years. Okay. So uh, I do that. Um, recently, uh, Ethan started the Australian Bitcoin industry body, mm. uh, so asked me to join as the board member. Um, so a little bit to, uh, doing a little bit with that. Okay. And, yeah, and awesome. yeah, that's my that's and apart from that, doing my family and kids and <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> yeah, except plenty. Yeah. Which is your day uh, job, plenty. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the, the, the Bitcoin industry body is a very interesting um, development that's happening. <clears throat> we'll, we'll definitely get onto that later in the conversation. Um, what I would like to start with then is, uh, is rewinding the clock. So, um, you know, you haven't always lived in Australia. So what was, yeah. what was growing up for you like? And, you know, you're now building a, a Bitcoin exchange. It requires, you know, entrepreneurship. Yeah. It requires technology skills um, and a number of other different uh, skill sets they are presumably things that you picked up during your lifetime um mm -hmm. i'd love to find out how and when that happened so let's uh, let's let's dig a little in, in in the teenage years perhaps or you know was technology something you were always interested in um yeah i'd love to learn some more about what the early life for daniel was like yeah sure so most people are surprised by this because i have a very strong accent and they think I have come to Australia recently, but actually, <laughs> actually, I've been here for, I think, close to 30 years now. Wow. Um, so um, I came to Australia when I was eight years old with my family. Yep. Um, so, I mean, since eight years old, most of my life has been spent in Australia, in Adelaide. Um, and where yeah, was your so, yeah where, where was your um where was where was your home before that so where were your parents from uh, 
Polish, so I'm originally Polish. Okay. Yeah. And do you remember? Uh, do you remember what Poland was like before the age of eight, or, or most memories are from here in Australia since? Uh, I have I have some vague, I have a little bit of memory memories. I went to school for the first two years, and so I have some memories. Um, yeah, we actually had a pretty good life in Poland. Um, the main reason we came is my mom's parents were in Australia. Okay. And my mom wanted to join them. They came back in the 80s. And um, so that was the main reason why um, we wanted to join them. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, um, I, my, you know, Australia was this kind of fantasy land growing up in Poland. You think, you know, in East Europe in the 90s, like you really think, especially as a kid, you have these kind of completely unrealistic expectations. Mm. Uh, um, of, and you think like, you know, the West of Australia would be some kind of yeah, fantasy land. Uh, I was imagining, you know, and actually one of the things I, I was imagining was uh, like, it'd be a very free place uh, where, you know, uh, there's no rules you can do what you want and mm. uh, uh, it was actually kind of one of my um, uh, it sounds silly but like I was imagining people I had I think something but like oh you can have a car with no doors and things like that uh, this kind of um, but all these kind of regulation and rules don't exist but everybody's happy and just uh, like that was kind of my imagination it wasn't quite like that in Australia but mm. Um, yeah, I, I, this doesn't have much to do with Bitcoin, but <laughs> no, no, that's, yeah, that's okay. Kind of, yeah, yeah. The reason I ask these questions, Daniel, is um, uh, I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that it's certain characteristics within people that um, a lot of Bitcoiners hold common, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, you, although I don't think it's boring at all, but people from different countries with different parents with different education yeah. but with similar characteristics yeah. are converging on this technology and that's mm, really mm. what i'm trying to, to to pull out is yeah what was it like um you know perhaps we fast forward a bit and say okay so you were growing up in australia um you had polish parents who'd migrated here um it wasn't necessarily your first home uh it was probably very different to what you knew before but what were some of the challenges that you faced when you first came here um, and any particular memories from that, that like the teenage years um, being in Australia? Um, you know, oh, I think one of the challenges is always coming as a migrant child and coming to a different culture. It is always actually a bit harder um, to adapt and to frankly to make friends, you know, to connect with people. Mm. Uh, I did find that a bit of a challenge coming here. Um, it, it was always kind of, there's always this feeling, and I've spoken to many like migrants who came from different backgrounds, who came around the same age. There's this kind of feeling, but you don't, you don't properly belong actually anywhere because I don't fully feel completely Australian, but going back to Poland, I'm not, I'm very different than Polish people in Poland also. So there's this, the thing that you don't feel um, the kind of your identity, it doesn't, uh, yeah, you don't completely identify with any culture completely. But it does, 
it does give you that kind of perspective on different cultures and how people think and it, it helps you understand even other cultures not from your own but people might have different perspectives mm. yeah it's it's i mean certainly when you hit the road and you start traveling you you realize that you know what you hold as a set of values that you were taught by wherever you grew up um there are other people in the world that live differently and so you gain perspective and that's always a very um in some ways like challenging thing because you're like hang on well i think this way and that's what everyone's supposed to think so why do you think a different way that's not allowed uh, but then at the same time it's also very empowering because perhaps some of the things that you were taught growing up you actually you never they never sat well with you and then suddenly you see people working and living differently and you go ah i always knew there was another way of doing things um yeah, yeah, yeah. i always think it's a really cool part of, of of broadening your horizons and seeing different parts of the world meeting new people um and in many ways that's what this podcast is all about is you know connecting with uh with like-minded people sharing stories getting to know people um so daniel so so tell me a bit more and i i can i can only imagine what it would have been like that sense of you know not necessarily feeling australian but also not necessarily feeling polish um, and, and the bit of the no man's land. I don't want to dive into this yet, but perhaps yeah, yeah. later later in the story, I, I'd be interested to hear how you feel since taking Bitcoin as a, an important part of your life and the community that you may have found from that. But we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah. So as a teenager, was was technology part of your life, perhaps, or um, you know, modern monetary theory probably wasn't on the uh, on the agenda at that stage. So what what were you up to at the time? Yeah. So I mean, growing up, I was always um technically inclined i was always pretty good at maths and think kind of voice kind of subjects but also as kind of almost like a hobby i had also an interest in things like uh, history and kind of observing politics and things like that so even in high school these were kind of my interests and i, I really um you know, learned programming in uh, high school in school and I, I really loved programming I, I loved the I, I think that's how what people get into programming uh, like it. it it's you can create stuff it's you know I like with programming it is um, it is about creation you know you use your code to create something and I, I really enjoyed that so uh, in university I when I went to university, I chose to do computer systems engineering and economics, which were both of my kind of interests, obviously programming and engineering, and also economics, which was kind of part of that history and economics, these kind of things always interested me. So as you can see, when I found out about Bitcoin, that was uh, pretty very much up my alley. Mm. Uh, it combined all, all these kind of interests and I never thought that I would be able to combine those interests in one field, the technology, the engineering, together with economics, history and politics and Bitcoin combines all these things. Uh, so it, it was like a dream area for me. Wonderful. And so... Um... If I may, so roughly when uh, did you finish your engineering degree? I finished in 2012. 
2012. Okay, so so Bitcoin had already yeah. been invented, essentially. Bitcoin uh, had already been invented. That's correct. Okay, so so you came out of uh, of your um, university degree. Had you come across Bitcoin already, or was that something that happened later? No, I um, no, I had I came upon Bitcoin in 2013. Okay. So it was after university. Um, I was doing trying to do some kind of. No, I never kind of a proper full-time job never completely appealed to me mm-hmm. um something about me you know, I, I like excitement it just had for me to sit down in a proper full-time job and i always wanted to do something different so i was after university i was trying to do some kind of small businesses we weren't very successful but in 2013 um i found about bitcoin i had come upon it um, a few times and um, initially, you know, like most people, I thought it was some kind of World of Warcraft money, some kind of, my expectation was about some kind of centralized thing released by some company. Mm-hmm. And this is just a waste of time. But I ke- it kept on kind of coming across my radar in thing, when I was reading about different technology, websites and podcasts, it kind of people would mention Bitcoin and it's like kept on coming across my radar so I, eventually I kind of decided to bite the bullet and try and actually learn about a bit about what this is. Mm-hmm. And the way I done it is I started listening to the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast, which in voice, yes, in 2013, that was the only Bitcoin podcast in the world. Wow. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm aware, I couldn't find anything else. So I started listening to a few episodes because I always find like podcasts a good way to kind of learn about something. So I started listening to a few episodes and I realized, well, this isn't World of Warcraft money. This is actually something a bit bigger. And, and I, I remember that time very well. I was actually going to the library. I was on the bus. I was listening to the podcast and I was going to do something else. But when I go to the library, I just like, well, I was already like fascinated. And I just went on my computer and I read the Bitcoin white paper, which was mentioned in the podcast. I read the Bitcoin white paper and it was like, uh, straight away, I I just like, wow, this is, I just knew this is big. (laughs) This is going to have a huge future. I don't know what the future was, but I was convinced this was going to be something big. And I remember, I think the next day, it was Saturday, I went with my girlfriend at the time uh, up like a hiking trail close to Adelaide and w- w- as we were going up the hiking trail I was just telling him talking to her <laughs> always about Bitcoin and just like thinking and like thinking like oh could it fail how could it fail and how how does it work you know that's like trying to think is it, is it, would this actually work how could it fail like otherwise it, but it could like doesn't have faults but I couldn't find any faults it seemed to like it seemed like it would work and seemed just yeah I was just mind blown and from that time on uh, I'm pretty much just completely been um, taken over by Bitcoin wow. <laughs> uh, pretty much almost every day I've been living and breathing Bitcoin especially in those first three years now maybe a little bit less less but the first three years was just completely every day everything about bitcoin 
Wow. It's so cool to Bitcoin, hear. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And um, yeah, nice. So, so Daniel, so what? Um, we, we can come back to where we're at at this point, but you mentioned, um, yeah. you know, you were trying to start a small business <clears throat> or maybe a number of small businesses and, you know, uh, a full-time job wasn't something that appealed to you. Um, are you able yeah. to, to, to give me some um, deeper insight into what that actually means to you? Like, so why were you motivated to start small businesses and why was a, a, a kind of, um, let's say a nine to five standard uh, full-time job? Why, why didn't that appeal to you? Um, I guess, uh, you know, I, I like, I like things to be fun. That's another reason why I love Bitcoin. Bitcoin is fun. <laughs> Bitcoin is exciting. Um, and, I, and I just, I wanted, I like creating things the same way, one of the reasons why I got into programming, I like creating things. And I just really like the idea of creating a business, of doing something, creating something, and having that kind of control over my own destiny. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason I asked Daniel is, is really to, as I mentioned already, understand the kind of the things that motivate you basically. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I'm not dissimilar. I've had a number yeah. of failed businesses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it didn't yeah. fucking work. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Why was I doing it? Well, because yeah. I think entrepreneurship is the most interesting thing one could possibly spend their life doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, that whole thing of like make failure your friend or, you know, you got to keep swinging even when things don't work out, etc. Right, right. I find regularly that, you know, people I'm meeting in the Bitcoin space are very similar type of character to this. Like they mm. did fuck it up a number of times mm. and it didn't yeah. work or they had some yeah. ideas, but they, they're consistently kind of putting ideas out there. Yeah. And I, I love yeah. this this emphasis that you're, you're placing on creation yeah, because, you know, it, it's a natural instinct of humans to be ingenious and, mm. um, you know, engineering is something that you know, historically we've been extraordinarily good at. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, that really shines through. Um, okay, cool. And so, you know, 2013, you've, you, you've read about Bitcoin. I love the, the way that you can basically remember the exact day, right? You're on the bus, going to yeah. the library, you're listening to this podcast, yeah. and basically everything changes. You go, yeah, I mean, it was a life-changing moment for me. Yeah. It I mean, it, it changed my life. Well, tell, tell me about that. So how does that feel to have come across something at that stage that, you know, you use the phrase, changed my life? Like, how does that feel? I mean, like, even, in, like, pretty much straight away, in the first few days, I knew this is something I wanted to devote my life to. Wow. And wow. And changed my life. I mean, it. Uh, I went. Um, everything. I mean, I, I am a Bitcoin person. It's almost part of my identity now, right? Uh, after all these years, I've gone uh, wherever I travel. I go to Bitcoin meetups, to Bitcoin conferences. I meet people who are into Bitcoin. They influence me, right? All the ideas, the kind of libertarian philosophy. I was already kind of partial to that. But a lot of that voice ideas um, become stronger with me and kind of influenced me from people in the Bitcoin space, right? So, I mean, Bitcoin influenced me and the, well, the people in Bitcoin influenced me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 
yeah, it, it just it's just part of who I am now, you know. It's 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 extraordinary to think that you know people are having these let's say light bulb moments in a decentralized manner, right? So people, yeah. you were in Adelaide, Australia. Yeah. And there were people yeah. sitting in America or in Africa or yeah. wherever the yeah. hell they might be having similar yeah. moments. And then you literally use the phrase, I knew within a few days I was going to devote my life to it. Like, yeah. Whoa, like what does yeah. that? Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. if you could kind of remember back to the day that, um, that this all happened, what do you think it was that you recognized in the white paper or the, the, the reading that you listened to immediately that you thought was just so important that you had to make that step and say, right, this is what I'm going to do with my life and, and, and help build this thing? Yeah, well, I think a few things. One of those I recognize this is much as my skills. You know, there's not, there's many things in life I wouldn't be good at and I wouldn't, I'm not suited to, um my skills than much but i felt like this is something where my skills are suited to um, and reading about bitcoin and um, why i i just could see that the kind of the decentralized money i could see the value of that of decentralized money i just I, it just seemed to me something like a groundbreaking technology, like an improvement in the evolution of money, a new, a new paradigm in money. The same way, you know, money evolved from, um, you know, it was bartering, gold coins, paper money, and mm. the kind of current system. It just Bitcoin was the next evolution in that. And, you know, in those days, uh, Andres Antonopoulos was very influential. His ideas uh, influenced me and a lot of people at, who got into Bitcoin at voice at that time. Andres Antonopoulos was on the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast. He was one of the co-hosts. Oh, is that right? Okay. You, yeah, I, I've yeah. actually never heard anyone yeah. quote that podcast before. So yeah. how interesting. Uh, of course, Andreas' work is, is regularly yeah. quoted yeah. from the kind of yeah. the class yeah. of 15, 16, but obviously yeah. 2013, he was already working on uh, a lot of his work uh, in terms of yeah. and, and courses. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 cool. And, and what I, what I, I mean, Bitcoin is a new kind of economic paradigm. Like it, mm. it just changes, it changes the potential for commerce in a way that yeah. we probably haven't even understood the potential of yet. Yeah. It's backed yeah. by software that, yeah. you know, frankly, one is required to be quite technical to understand. And yeah. to your point, that's exactly why you just were like, okay, this makes sense. You'd literally, you know, you'd been at university, spent four years as a 20 to 24 year old or whatever it was, yeah. understanding those two subjects to a degree that, a lot of people in the world never get to. Yeah. Um, and what I like about that is, you know, you had a lens essentially uh, that was able to, um, in some ways, due diligence this this opportunity and this new technology. And with the skill sets you had, you knew it was going to be interesting, like straight away. Yeah. Um, now, of course, had you majored in art and you know some kind of music, then you wouldn't have had a clue what it meant um or you know whatever right um 
gosh how cool and so i guess uh, as as this process is playing out you're thinking okay i'm going to devote my life to this so those first three years of 2013 to 2016 like what was bitcoin like um and I compare that to today where, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of Bitcoin podcasts and the, the content is fantastic um, to, to listen to and learn from. H how does it compare today to when you first got involved in the space? Um, today compared to when I first got involved. But I would say, um, like, I, that's kind of because you said... Um, like my skills help me understand Bitcoin and some people yeah. uh, done other areas. But I think some people, um, there, are other, there are people with other kind of skills and that come from other backgrounds and areas that also got into Bitcoin and kind of saw it, but they saw it through their own perspective, but they found something in Bitcoin from their own perspective. You know, you even like whether they music, musicians or, whatever they have like they people like but have gone into it they just see it through a through a different prism they can still see that value so um, i just wanted to say that if that does that make sense it actually daniel it's a very good pushback on my my previous comment in that yeah. um again one of the reasons i'm doing this podcast is everyone who you know let's say calls themselves a bitcoiner has a unique lens because of yeah. their personal life yeah. experience and yeah. often it's those lenses yeah. that are such interesting ways of viewing Bitcoin, i.e. it solves a different problem yeah, yeah. for different types of people. Um, and actually, yeah, there might yeah, well yeah. be a musician who fucking loves Bitcoin because of its ability to disintermediate them from, you know, um, their fans in a way that record companies could never do. Yeah, I'm making yeah. this up, but yeah, you know, maybe yeah. I have to get a musician on the show to find out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a, it's a great point that um, actually there are um, there are lots and lots of different unique lenses that uh, people have that are all you know of equal value in a sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a better way. Uh, you're much more eloquent than me. Uh, the different <laughs> people have different lenses and can see value for the lens. So that's but, what I like. That's yeah. what I like. Okay, so so if we can, what I was trying to ask about the comparison between now and then is for the people that are getting into Bitcoin for the first time yeah. now, or friends and family that still don't, yeah. uh, still don't get it, how would you describe the way that Bitcoin has matured since 2013 to now 2022? I mean, one thing, it's like where it is now, it's almost hard to believe it's so crazy how much it grown when wow, really? I was first getting into it. Like the idea that it's gonna hit $10,000 was just like, I mean, a lot of these things like in theory, it could happen, you know, people talked about it, but it just like, yeah, it just like, it was seemed like such a, so far off in many ways. I mean, when I was getting into it, people were, was a shop, alpaca socks, and you could buy alpaca socks on Bitcoin, with Bitcoin, it was an online store, and people were talking, oh, what can you do with Bitcoin, you can buy alpaca socks, I mean, that was like one of the things we were going, going you know, but uh, was like, I mean, like the idea that a country would have Bitcoin as its national currency, like, it just, 
you know, like when it's, that's why, like when people say, oh, Bitcoin, I don't know how you feel, but like if, if people say like Bitcoin will be a million dollars, like I, I don't know if people feel, think that's crazy, but from my perspective, I've, I've seen Bitcoin do much more crazy things than that. Like if it's 50,000 50, now or whatever, getting to 1 million, like that doesn't seem crazy. Like it was 500 and got to 50,000. Um, it was it was so niche before, so small. Nobody knew, nobody knew what it was. Pretty much, mm -hmm. I mean, when I talk to people at that point, nobody, almost nobody has had heard of it. Uh, I remember when I was opening my exchange very early on. I was opening a bank account. I went to the to the bank. And the banker asked me what my business is and explained Bitcoin. She had no idea what it is. I explained it to her. She was a young lady and she said, oh, wow, that's so cool. She's like, I remember what she said. She said, wow, the banks aren't going to like this. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was at that point, Bitcoin was, yeah, it was very small. There wasn't that much things you could do to it and people were talking about this kind of future potential but seemed very far off uh, from where we were at that point um and i'm sure it's 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 almost hard to explain how different it feels in terms of the amount of people that are interested the amount of media attention yeah. it's getting the yeah. fad is probably the same right the fear the uncertainty the doubt that's yeah. spun around by the establishment to to get people yeah. to not buy it essentially yeah um, yeah it, it's it i mean the story is incredible right like who's the founder don't mm, know mm, what mm. that in itself is intriguing isn't it um, yeah perhaps we could conspire for a moment daniel on the subject yeah. do, do you know who satoshi is have you any idea is it a a single person a group um yeah, it's almost a pointless thing to conspire about, yeah. but perhaps then following that would be a question on how important you think it might be that it remains anonymous. Yeah, I mean, if I if I was to guess, my best guess would be Nick Shabo, mm -hmm. but who knows? But I think I think it is important because whoever Satoshi is, he's a person or maybe a group of people. I, I reckon it's a one person personally, okay. but that person like he has his personality and I'm sure if we'd find out about learn found out who he is a lot of people would turn would think oh actually I don't like that aspect of his personality right nobody's perfect and but because he's anonymous we can kind of project all our ideas and our kind of um, um, ideas on who that person is and everybody projects their own ideas. And if we knew him for real, he, he might not live up to some of our expectations. Mm -hmm. And some of us uh, would uh, maybe not like his creation because, you know, if, if Satoshi, maybe he has some political view which we disagree with. And then it's like, oh, I don't want to use that person's coin, mm. right? So. I think that's um, that's a big reason why it's important, right? In my opinion. Yeah, so that's like 
the the concept that it's easier to if they remain anonymous for the founder to take on this more kind of godlike um, yes yeah being that is you know in the same way that i might read a fantasy novel and have a completely different image in my head as to what something yeah. looked like and yeah. you might read the same book and we have like we, we both created our own reality um, yeah. or imagining of, of said text it's kind of the same thing um, yeah and I, I agree with you it's um it, it's everything i've researched i think it's very important that it remains the case that the founder isn't you know accessible in some way you know yeah. as soon as a human element evolved corruption mm. is possible yeah. the whole point of bitcoin is bringing this newfound like, yeah. trusted layer that's just never existed before yeah. um, and, and the power of that is you know and again I, I just don't think we fully comprehend what what we're we're dealing with here in some senses yeah yeah, um, yeah. okay and so daniel what i'd love to to get into then is a bit more about your entrepreneurial journey so yeah um boom, you're down the rabbit hole. It, it's, you know, your skill sets really align. You're really passionate. You want to devote your life to Bitcoin. Did you, you know, you just bought some, uh, like what, what did you, what did you actually actively do then? You'd obviously tried to start some businesses in the past. Um, is hard block the first iteration of a company or did you have some other ideas? Just talk to me a bit about how that process has played out. Yeah, sure. So I started buying Bitcoin towards the end of 2013. I used some local, at that point there were a few smaller exchanges. So I bought, started buying Bitcoin there. I actually even bought a little bit from Mount Cox. Okay. And um, and very soon I, I wanted to be like a lot of people who are interested in Bitcoin. I wanted to be involved. I just like wanted to, how can I be involved? I wanna, mm. uh, I, I need to be in this space, be involved in some way. So I thought I would set up my own small exchange and it was very basic initially. I just coded up a very basic, it was really a glorified web form <laughs> initially. Uh, which was the initial version of Hardblock Exchange. And what it was really, it's people would deposit dollars. Uh, it took me a few months to, like three months to get a basic version up. And people would just have to deposit dollars. Uh, they'd create a, sorry, they would create, they would go on the website, there would be a form, they'd enter how much they want to buy and their Bitcoin address. Uh, they'd fill that form out, they'd get up my bank details, they'd deposit money into the bank account, I'd see the money in the bank account and I'd use my own personal wallet to money send them Bitcoin. And that was really the initial version. So it was very basic. And, and Daniel, and, this, was in, yeah. this was in 2013 that you made That this was 2014. That 14. was early 2014. Okay. Yeah. And, and gosh, and it actually surpassed my expectations. It started, unlike my other business, it started doing very well, very fast. Um, cool. Yeah, so um, started doing very well, very fast. But soon enough, I started running into problems. Um, and for my problems was really with banking. And I, I, after that, uh, I had a lot of problems with bank accounts. After about a year and a half of running the business, I had a lot of problem with bank accounts. Like many people in the industry have, 
Uh, I guess you probably know Bitcoin by everything that she says is completely correct. And yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I had a lot of problems. I had to shut the business down at one point. I just went from one bank to another, uh, getting my accounts closed. And um, yeah, so because of that, I couldn't really grow the business as the way I wanted to. And, and I'm intrigued by, um, <clears throat> well, this this point where like you've surpassed expectations. So um, I, I, I love startups. I love entrepreneurship. Yeah. And, you know, what you're looking for is, you know, what problem are you solving? Whose problem yeah. are you solving? Create an avatar, like this, mm-hmm. um, this, this fake person in your head that's got this huge problem and you're going to solve it for them and they'll pay you to solve it. And you can have, mm. you know, a thousand product ideas. You can create small MVPs for all of them. And 99 percent get basically zero traction and then one of them yeah. just goes flying yeah. um, in terms of the the businesses you've set up before and then the initial traction you received um on building this particular product um just ex- just describe to me like was it exciting when you suddenly realized it was it was actually creating value for people and others were actually using it like what, what did that feel like Yeah, it did feel exciting. It's, um, yeah, there is an excitement. It's like, oh, well, it's actually working. <laughs> People were like, <laughs> it's making money. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was good. Like, um, and it gives you, very, when, you, when it's working, it gives you more motivation to work on it. So yeah, it was all voice things. Okay. How cool. Yeah. And I, I like obviously the, the success breeds success. So yeah. when you taste um, success might be the wrong word, but like traction, you're like, ah, oh, sweet, this is working. How do I improve this? And you want to spend more time on it. basically. Yeah, yeah. And it does help to motivate. Well, you know, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think with business also, there is obviously there's a lot of knowledge and skill, but there is kind of an element of chance and luck. And you make your own luck, but there is still an element of luck. And, um, you know, sometimes things work, sometimes things don't work. I didn't even do that much, but it just started, like, it was very simple. Mm. But I guess I was pretty early and just people were using it. And um, for myself, you know, at that point, I was just, you know, recently out of university. Um, yeah, it was like, okay, um, it's, it was making me money. So I didn't really need like uh, to look for a job mm. at that point. And so, um, and that's interesting then. So it started to generate enough income for you to not actually have to work for someone else. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, I'd push back slightly by saying, you know, of course, there's an element of luck to all yeah. entrepreneurial endeavors, right? Yeah. you might have an idea if you don't put it out there then you'll never find out the answer yeah. Yeah. and you've already touched on in this this conversation that you know you knew you didn't want to work for someone else you'd already mm-hmm. started a number of small businesses you know i would yeah. argue that yes it was you know a good opportunity that you happened to be in the right place at the right time but mm-hmm. hadn't you if you hadn't had those other failures before then you wouldn't have been in that position to even try if that makes sense yeah, yeah, so, yeah, sure. You know, you, know uh, um, you make your own luck, I guess, is how I like to think about it. Yeah, um, sure. And 
cool. So you're working for yourself and, and let's dive in a little more to, you know, the problems that you, that you came across. Like why were they shutting down your bank accounts? Like what, what was the problem that was, was, was being created? So, I mean, this was a problem that affected all exchanges at that point and still does right now in many ways. Um, but uh, basically at that point, banks didn't want to deal with digital currency exchanges. For them, it was just, uh, it wasn't even that it was just kind of anti-Bitcoin. For them, it was just, this is something new and the way it, it does involve money and most people who use exchanges and buy Bitcoin are legitimate. But there are people who, you know, there's ransomware, there's scam, there's other people being scammed, there's things like that. And um, for banks, most banks just didn't want to deal with this. This seems like some kind of crazy Bitcoin thing. Uh, like there's always overhead for the bank. It's not like a, your typical business, you know, like a plumber or whatever. It just there's much more things involved, and they didn't want to deal with didn't, didn't want to deal with digital currency exchanges. Yeah. And uh, and I I couldn't really for a long time I couldn't solve that problem. I couldn't get a I couldn't get a bank account for like many years. I just went from one bank to the other. I, the way I'd open it like. Uh, and I wouldn't even tell them what business I'm doing and I'd open it. I'd basically have to lie to I'd make up some, they ask me what business I'm running. I'm saying, oh, some web development agency. So they wouldn't know I'm doing a Bitcoin business. And, and um, that's the, that's how I got a bank account. But eventually, and eventually I'd, they'd find out sometimes they'd let me stay with them. Sometimes they'd kick me out straight away. Uh, but eventually it kicked me out after a while. And um, yeah, I just could never get a stable bank account. So I couldn't really grow the business. And um, that's kind of when my the exchange initially it was going very well. At that point, um, it, it wasn't, it stopped going, things stopped going uh, well for me. Um, yeah, I was, some exchanges, a lot of them at that point, there were other people, a lot of people gave up, a lot of exchanges gave up, but some, I don't know exactly how they done it, but they managed to keep a bank account and grow the business. I couldn't keep a bank account and it was just hard for me to uh, grow it. That changed really in the last two and a half years. Uh, at the beginning of 2009, I believe it was. I started getting like actually banking partners who were happy to work with me and happy to have us as a customer, knowing that we had Bitcoin exchange. So interesting, isn't it? Because you know, Bitcoin's basically 10 years old by then, give or take. Um, and you know, one wonders if it's malevolence initially or it's fear or it's hard to describe really, but people didn't really know what they were dealing with, I guess. Um, but yeah. the idea that, you know, an entrepreneur in Australia is struggling to even have a way of transacting is mm. mind blowing, right? 
I yeah. could open a bank account for my business and I was helping people exchange Australian dollars for Bitcoin. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, that's yeah. hardly a free market, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. you know, onerous regulation that's, you know, it's not enabling innovation in the slightest. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that yeah. you, you overcame that. And it was obviously just a, a passage of time. And, you know, one day these, you know, traditional banks will be custodians of digital assets. They'll also be in the exchange business. They'll be asset managers of some form doing debt products. They'll be doing all of it probably, or yeah. the ones that survive will, um, or, or are able to, you know, buy some interesting companies. Um, you know, and it's extraordinary to think, you know, Coinbase is a hugely valuable company. Mm. It probably started at a not dissimilar time to yourself. Um, yeah, a bit earlier, but yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Okay. Mm. So one thing I'm intrigued with, Daniel, is, um, and Coinbase, good time to mention them. Most exchanges sell yeah. Bitcoin plus a plethora of other cryptocurrencies. Sure. Yeah. Explain to me why you haven't done that. Sure. Um, you know, I like when I got first got into Bitcoin, there weren't even that many altcoins. There was Litecoin, right? That was the only one. Um, but, you know, when things were kind of being worked on, like Ethereum, uh, I, I took some interest, you know, I, I'm, I try to kind of keep on tabs with everything. And um, I try to research Ethereum actually, bought it very early on. And, um, but very soon I realized that well, early on I was trying to find out and learn everything and understand every project. But very soon I found out that these projects went nowhere. And um, so many things I started learning and researching and they died. And as I knew, as I learned more about them, about Bitcoin and about things like Ethereum and other, I realized that they don't they don't offer what bitcoin does they don't there's no groundbreaking technology there the, the bitcoin's choices the why bitcoin is it's like that for a reason it's not because these things can't be done or because ethereum does something unknown it's because the why bit people decide and choose the why bitcoin does things is a better way um, so, uh, and you know, uh, in 2017, like I had so many of people, like my friends, you know, at that point there was a big bubble, the price of Bitcoin price and all the altcoins were going up and everybody was asking me or like or about Bitcoin and all these altcoins and currencies and things. and. I was telling people, you know, just invest in Bitcoin, just keep things simple, like invest, stay in Bitcoin. And um, that's all you need to do. But most people, they, they didn't listen to me at that point. And, you know, I mean, like, I don't wanna force anything on them. Um, but soon, like they went for the, all these old coins and they ended up losing money from it. Uh, when it crashed, they lost a lot of money. A lot of them got banned. They thought, oh, you know, 
cryptocurrency, there's no point getting into it. And like all I see is like people, there's a lot of bad misconceptions about all these altcoins. They promise a lot because it's easy to promise, but if you, the more you understand it, it, it's false promises. I don't think I don't think that's the best answer. I probably could have phrased these things better, but um, does that make any sense, Jake? No, no, it does. It does, Daniel. Um, you know, the, the point of these conversations in many ways is to is to exchange ideas, um, and yeah. ideas don't often come out quite how you want to say them initially. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, you, you tell a story that doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Um, tell itself quite as well as how you told it before or whatever. So, yeah. so don't worry yeah. too much about yeah. that. I yeah. think what's very clear is that you were, you were able to recognize that Bitcoin was the, the major innovation in what has become the cryptocurrency craze. Yeah. Let's call it yeah. that. You know, yeah. the, the, the boom cycles are crazy. Yeah. FTs at the moment, like what the fuck are they? I mean, seriously, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. no idea. Um, and they, they might well be extremely valuable to some people. I, I just, I don't know. But in a space in which there's so much innovation and so much speed at which this is happening, it's, it's almost overwhelming. So I can imagine back in 2013, 14, you know, you said you wanted to be up to, to date on actually most of the cryptocurrency projects that were out there. Yeah. You know, now there's 12 or 15,000 different coins listed on CoinMarketCap. Like, phew, you can't. Even even yeah. if you were full time researching crypto projects, you couldn't possibly shit like sort mm. through all of those to mm. find out which mm. ones were interesting. Yeah, and yeah. you know, as we're seeing now, layer two and layer three functionality that's been built on top of Bitcoin is going to make it like orders of magnitude more valuable to the mm. user base that's increasingly mm. adopting it, and yeah. the altcoins yeah. that supposedly uh, solve those problems are going to fall away. Yeah. Mm. Go on, go yeah, on, please. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, just answering my question, your question again. Basically, I believe most the best thing people can do is to just buy and hold Bitcoin. That's the best thing they can do, just buy and hold Bitcoin. And that's people try to go down all, try all these things because they think they can beat Bitcoin, but in the long term, they don't. I've seen it happen before. And I, that's why we don't, we help on our exchange on hard block. We help people just buy Bitcoin because I, I, that's what I recommend to my friends, to my family. When my sister asked me, what should I do? I just said, just buy and hold Bitcoin. Don't look at the price. That's the mm -hmm. best thing people can do. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's, okay. really, that's, that's really why we offer Bitcoin. And this, I can give you some stories of um, how some of this came, up, came about also. Um, like yeah, so Daniel, so what I was just going to chime in and say is, like, yeah. okay, if your stance is, you know, I tell all my friends and family to just buy and hold Bitcoin regardless yeah. of the price and the yeah. reason that, yeah. hard block only offers bitcoin is yeah. because of that well then yeah. to 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 go a slightly further um down that thought process explain yeah. to me why you have that stance and i think that's just where you were going but um yeah sure, sure. By, by what what that really means to you like why is that your 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 status okay so um 
I'll, I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you an example, a story from yeah, please. 2000, from 2017. Yeah, any I real stories to, you can yeah, think of, yeah. etc. It always helps to, to bring it to life. Yeah, I was trying to learn about Ethereum more. And, and one of the things, you know, okay, the first point to start with is to uh, run an Ethereum node. So let's try and get an Ethereum node uh, happening, like set it up and see how all that works. Um, so I was, and that's actually the point where I got stuck. I could not get the Ethereum node to run. <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm not the greatest engineer, but still I'm an engineer. Like I was, it, it kept on crashing. Like I, I was trying to set it up, it kept on crashing. And I thought, well, I mean, maybe, Again, I'm not the great, there's better engineers than me. I started looking on the internet. There wasn't that much information. Most people just said, well, don't run Ethereum or just use, you know, whatever, MetaMask or whatever. But I was like, well, I get it. But I just want to know how to run an Ethereum node. I couldn't get the answer. I met somebody um, in like a Bitcoin meetup, um, also an engineer, and he was, uh, and we were discussing it. And, about Ethereum and my problem. He said he had the exact same experience. He also he said he tried to run an Ethereum node, it kept on crashing, he couldn't sync it. And around this time, uh, Jamison Love, I guess, have you heard of Jamison Love? Yes, I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. so he's a Bitcoin maximalist, um, but at that point he was, I can't remember the name of the business he was working on, but it's a business, it's still around, but they provide infrastructure a lot of exchanges where they basically run the wallet, the Bitcoin wallet and all the altcoin wallets. And he was talking about how Bitcoin, the Bitcoin node just worked, why he, why he had so much trouble uh, with all these altcoins and Ethereum, like it just was not reliable, it kept on crashing. And like this kind of, uh, experience. That's actually how he became a Bitcoin maximalist. So that experience, in some way similar to me, he, with his experience running that infrastructure platform, he couldn't, had so much problems with um, running the different nodes for over the, the old coins. And um, so you, what I kind of, what I realized is that a lot of these projects they sacrifice decentralization for greater capability. And, um, and I think most people, when they get into um, like cryptocurrency, let's say, they, they just like that stuff, the decentralization is kind of below the surface. They don't see that. They just see the greater capability. But we don't see that that great the capability is achieved through um, less decentralization and having something that's less secure and less decentralized. And sure, I mean somehow somebody runs Ethereum nodes. Uh, like I couldn't get it done. Eventually, I gave up because it took too much of my time. But there are companies who do it. But Ethereum nodes. Are run by companies. They're not run by individuals. I can. It's very easy to run. You can even on a Raspberry Pi. You can run a, a Bitcoin node. You can't do that with Ethereum. And um, 
Um, Daniel, if I could jump yeah. in there. Yeah. Explain to those that are listening that might not understand the, the back end of Bitcoin. Um, why is it important that uh, you're able to run a node? A node validates over transactions on the network, keeps a history and validates over transactions on the network. Bitcoin is decentralized because it's decentralized because of the nodes. If so, if you want to change the supply limit of Bitcoin, if you want to change 21 from 21 million coins to 30 million coins, it would require all the nodes to agree on that. If you want to censor transactions, it would, well, actually it's a bit more complicated than that, but basically to make changes to the protocol, consensus changes, on things like the, the supply limit, you need overnodes to agree. So, um, and because in Bitcoin overnodes are run by individuals, it's hard, much harder to make those changes, right? So if you look at history, like, I mean, Bitcoin was inspired in many ways by BitTorrent. Mm. Um, and, and if you look at that history, um, how originally there was, uh, what was his early music sharing clients, um, uh, Napster, right? Like, so these, they were centralized. And, and then there was um, uh, Kazaa, which are actually slightly more decentralized, but you still, a lot of the actual, um, there were still centralized servers run by companies. And with BitTorrent, the actual, um, most of that was decentralized. That's why what allowed BitTorrent to work, because we've always previous iterations like Napster, right? You could just shut down the individual companies, but with BitTorrent, you couldn't. You couldn't go into every person's house. It was just too easy to start the servers and create servers. So that's why BitTorrent succeeded and worked. And so with Ethereum, I mean, it, it's much easier if the government, if you say the American government in the future wants to stop payments to Russia, for example, they can, there's really like, all, all they need to go do is go to IWS. Most of those nodes are on, Ethereum nodes are on IWS, right? There's only a handful of Ethereum companies and, um, and most of those companies run the nodes on IWS. So, I mean, it's very easy to control that network. With Bitcoin, you couldn't do that. You have to go, there's thousands of people all around, individuals all around the world running nodes at home. It's impractical, much harder for any authority like the United States government to exert pressure on those individuals. So which, which essentially means, and, and what does that mean? That means like this, that gives Bitcoin its value because Bitcoin is digitally enforced property rights. Right. So because of that high level of decentralization in Bitcoin, you have better 
property rights in Bitcoin than any other currency, any other altcoin, right? So, you know, why do like Chinese people, when, why do they invest in Australian property or Canadian property or whatever, everywhere? They, they move their money and try to invest in property in Western countries. Well, the reason they do that is because those countries historically have better property rights than China. In China, you can't even buy property, right? You can, all you do is you actually lease it from the government. You don't own land. I believe it's like a 99 year lease. I could be wrong, but that's my understanding. So you don't actually own it. You really lease it when you buy a property in China. And again, you know, Chinese government doesn't have a great history, right? And they could seize it, whatever. But in Western countries, they have a much better history of respecting property, right? So that's why people choose to buy property there. That's what gives those properties higher values. And um, again, Bitcoin, we don't, in digital currencies, we don't have property rights imposed by law the way they have been traditionally. We have property rights enforced by code, by decentralization. And because Bitcoin is much more decentralized than always other currencies like Ethereum, that means you are getting really the gold standard of property rights. But people don't understand that when they first come into uh, cryptocurrency space, right? They just see the features and capability. And it happens a lot where you know, you send a friend to uh, Coinbase, you know, you give that as an example, get some Bitcoin and, you know, first and foremost, they're just kind of dazzled by all these other things that they can yeah. buy. And then yeah. hang on, the unit bias just kicks in immediately. Sorry. So $50,000 yeah. or whatever the price is today, yeah, $40,000 uh, US dollars yeah. for a Bitcoin, but I can pay, you know, 400 bucks and buy one of something else. Well, yeah. Why wouldn't I do that? Yeah, yeah. And, and the rational kind of unit bias kicks in. Sorry, yeah, the irrational yeah. unit bias kicks in. Um, but I, I, before I go down that so much or harp on that too much, like brilliant explanation as to like why Bitcoin is more important than all of the other altcoins for yeah. the purpose of property rights. Yeah. Um, and how interesting. So you couldn't run an, an Ethereum node. What the fuck? Yeah, how is that I a decentralized network, right? Like you're a yeah. you know qualified programmer. Um, yeah. And you met someone else who was probably, a, you know, a, a, an expert yeah. program as well. They also couldn't do it. How yeah. interesting. Well, that's a, an, exp an excellent explanation as to why um, Bitcoin is different to mm. the rest um, yeah. and, and uh, a potential um, and, and highlights nicely why it's important and why it's safer. And I, I like thinking of it as kind of that, that idea of like a herd or like safety yeah. in numbers. Like, yeah. you know, when my mum says to me, Jay, what can't they just turn it off? And I'm like, okay, mum, mm. there are, you know, these small things called nodes that have yeah. the history of the entire thing forever on them. Um, those nodes are in an unknown amount of locations globally. Uh, yeah. It's impossible to actually shut down the internet at one time globally, even though yeah. the World Economic Forum's online talking about crypto and cyber attacks or whatever they're doing. You know, that's mm. just noise. You cannot physically do it. And therefore, this thing can't be killed. Um, yeah. Ethereum, on the other hand, as you already mentioned, uh, Amazon Web Services is basically, you know, call up Jeff Bezos and say, mate, 
couple of players in your uh, AWS uh, tech stack we need to have some uh, wise words with. And yeah. boom, you know, maybe they change the network in favor of whoever, at which yeah. point it's completely ruined the point of a store of value and things like that. So yeah. it's, it is so interesting, isn't it? Um, oh, Daniel, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that's a great example. I'm, I'm sure you've got many more stories that explain yeah. why, why, why Bitcoin over altcoins, but yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm conscious of time. I don't want to take yeah. uh, too much of your sure. evening up. So um, what I'd really like to get into now is like, you know, what's, um, what does hard block feel like today? Um, as an entrepreneur, do you feel like you're really picking up speed and, and, and approaching a, a more exciting future? How, how's the health of your business and, and what excites you about going forwards? Yeah, sure. It's like I'm very excited about it now. Um, the main thing is we have had that steady banking relationship for two years now. So that has allow, allowed me to grow the team, start hiring people and start working to improve our product, uh, to create a good experience um, for people who want to just, a for people who want to, a simple way to buy Bitcoin in Australia. Um, we also are creating pretty good educational resources. Um, uh, we had Justin, who I believe you met, um, yep. join our team who's very knowledgeable with Bitcoin, knows about most topics much more than me even. Um, and he's, he's creating great educational material um, because that's kind of what we aim to do, right? We wanna help, we wanna educate Australians about Bitcoin, why they should buy Bitcoin and help them buy Bitcoin. So um, it's exciting now we're hiring people we're improving the product. And for the last two years, I haven't had to worry about the rug being pulled out from underneath our feet with the closure of bank accounts. Wonderful. And it's, you know, there'll, be, there'll be other Australian entrepreneurs that will potentially listen to this, uh, this discussion. And it's literally pioneers like yourself, Daniel, that have spent, you know, the best part of a decade fighting with the Australian banking system to enable, yeah. um, you know, cryptocurrency related projects to have, you know, fiat bank accounts yeah. um, without the hard work you've done to, to explain why it's important to open the doors. Then there's a whole heap of innovation that wouldn't be able to happen in the next five to 10 years that is, is bubbling away under the surface now. So, you know, big shout out to yourself and thank you very much for, for doing all of that i know there'll be some yeah. really interesting companies that get created in the near term that wouldn't be able to if people like yourself hadn't been out there doing the hard yards um so far um, yeah. okay daniel nice no no it's been it's been great to spend some time with you and to learn a bit bit about what brought you to today um yeah, yeah i mean uh any final comments from yourself at all i i i don't have anything myself per se it's it's just it's great to to have a conversation with someone who's you know building and running a company that they're clearly so passionate about and you know pump for the future. Any, any final comments you'd like to make? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, there's so many other topics we could still cover, um, but maybe we can leave it for a future discussion. But yeah, um, it was great talking to you, and uh, I, I hope your listeners got something out of it and found it interesting. Um, I, I realize I do have a strong accent and somehow sometimes 
Um, maybe it's hard to understand me. No, it's uh, good, but it's good to get out there, Daniel. It's good to get yeah, out there and to and to talk and tell stories. Yeah. I mean, um, the the one thing you could mention, for example, is what is the name of your podcast that you guys are, are currently? Yes, on? right. So we started uh, doing a podcast, the Australian Bitcoin Podcast, um, where we in some mix of episodes we have some kind of educational episodes where we educate people about the different topics in bitcoin about privacy and and um, about different hardware wallets different types of wallets and we also interview a lot of people in the bitcoin space in the australian bitcoin space we really try to focus on australian people on australian on the australian community interviewing people who are Bitcoiners who are part of the Australian Bitcoin community. And yeah, I think it's a pretty good uh, resource. Again, it's uh, Justin is, is in charge of that and he's, he's extremely knowledgeable about Bitcoin, about privacy. He's very passionate about privacy, very passionate about Bitcoin and uh, he's got a lot to offer. Awesome and, and good luck to, to Justin and to yourself as you build this out. Yeah, um, yeah. I... Uh... Uh, I know it was only brief, but we did have the chance to meet in person at the recent Bitcoin Bush Bash in uh, yeah. in Beechworth. And you know, you mentioned community and, and building Australian-focused Bitcoin products and education. Um, you know, there we were in, to me anyway, as someone who grew up in the UK, you know, in the middle of fucking nowhere. Right, you're all the yeah. way over in Australia. You're four or five hours drive outside of Melbourne in a small mm. community hall <laughs> with yeah. a bunch of Bitcoiners, and then you end up in the pub. And it really was an exciting couple of days. Yeah. And in some ways, I'm like, you know, is Bitcoin getting more mainstream? Well, yes, it is. But then equally, it's still so unbelievably early. Yeah. That, you know, the biggest, I mean, maybe it's still so new, but, you know, it's a relatively large, um, gathering of bitcoiners mm. in terms of the bitcoin community here in australia but it's still you know i think there was what probably 60 people in the room um yeah. over the course of so it's not huge i mean obviously the bitcoin conference in, in in the states is the leading kind of event with whatever it is twenty five thousand people at it or something yeah you know if bitcoin does what we think it might do which has become the global reserve currency of the world if in, if it isn't already you know there are people that go to music festivals near where i grew up in the uk Glastonbury, 250,000 people on site. It happens every year, has done for 50 years. And that's to watch like great rock and roll bands and whatever else. You think, okay, well, this is like the reinvention of money in the digital era. Like the, the festivals that are going to be held around Bitcoin are going to be absolutely massive because it's going to change everything in everyone's life. Uh, whereas like some people have different tastes and preferences for different types of music and therefore go to different types of festivals, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so the fact there was like 60 of us in a room together in, you know, a remote part of Australia <laughs> yeah. to me means like we, we are still incredibly early, but yeah, um, no, it's very cool. Okay. Well, Daniel, thank you so much. Um, for those that, uh, would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that, please? Um, you can, uh, my email is danielw at hardblog.com.au. Um, I also have a Twitter account, um, and my Twitter is uh, Dan Vilch. So okay. Dan W I L C Z. Um, 
so you can contact me on twitter also cool well i'll put the contacts in the show notes and stuff yeah sure um, but Daniel, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Great to, to get to know your story a little and um, we'll have to do this again some other time. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Pleasure.